don't let your jobs, younger people, you know, don't let your jobs rob you of an opportunity of leading a life of purpose, passion, and positivity. Most of us don't do that because we get so ingrained into our things, we leave everything on the side, you know. It's like the American dream. I tried to achieve the American dream, but I ended up with a reckless pursuit of fame and fortune. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarko.com. My guest this week in the doctor's chair is Dr. Akil Tahir, a practicing family physician in Alabama, United States. His book, Open Heart, has been described by Colin Campbell, professor in Cornell University and co-author of the best-selling book, The China Study, as an inspirational read with a message that will be remembered. And having read Akil's book, I can completely resonate with those comments. Just imagine a very senior, dedicated family physician late in his career, suffering a serious heart problem that requires major heart surgery, and dealing with that in a manner that's self-reflective, courageous, and inspirational. And along the way, reversing his illness by traveling a pathway paved by nature herself. Akil, you're very welcome to the doctor's chair. Thank you, Mark, for that kind introduction and giving me an opportunity to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much, Akil. I want to dive straight in here and start by looking back. And uh, I just saw this very interesting quote in your book, whereby you said, up to the age of 61, I was my biggest impediment to progress. And then I became my biggest change agent. Can you tell me and tell us about what life was like for you before your heart attack? Okay, uh, Mark, I came to the U.S. I came to America rather late in my 40s. So I had a lot of catching up to do. And so I worked very hard, long hours, paying very little attention to my health, physical and mental my family, and my friends. So till the age of 61, I created my own unhealthy lifestyle. So I spent the better part of my life really uh, enjoying rich, unhealthy food without worrying about the unhealthy consequences like heart disease. 
Like many, I believed that it won't happen to me. Like a moth to a flame, I was attracted to all this meat, eggs, dairy, processed food, sugars. And I needed these, the sad American diet. I needed this to get my daily high. And then I was at one time, Mark, called a seafood eater, S-E-E. That means I ate everything at sight, be it uh, unhealthy uh, Indian food or American food or Italian food, you name it, and I've eaten it. And if I wasn't looking at patients and eating whatever was in front of me, I was a couch potato. I did no exercise. I did not believe in exercise. And I believe that the first generation of Indians who come to America really did not know how to spell the word exercise. I I tell people the only exercise I did at that time, Mark, was my eye muscles looking at joggers run in the park (laughs) or my hand muscles trying to change the TV channels on the remote. I think you said something very interesting there. You you really spoke about you didn't believe it could happen to you. In other words, you know, it's something I talk about, this myth of invincibility. And it's something a lot of men suffer from, this idea that we're bulletproof. We're somehow immune from these things that happen other people, but they're not going to happen us because somehow we're different. And like many of us believe, you know, it's not going to happen to me, especially heart disease is the leading cause of death in the world. So the point is that once I had this kind of a thing, I also had a type A personality mark. Yes. To me, I had to have everything under control. Mm. It was either my way or the highway. So this led to a tremendous amount of stress in my life. Mm. A lot of people have stress, but they can handle it. I could not handle it with all these things that caught on. So I was not surprised when heart disease came knocking at my door at the age of 56. Now, I had 98 to 99% blockages in two of my arteries. One, as you know, was a widow maker. Mm -hmm. But my blockages were so, my blockages, my plaques were so thick. And now now picture this. I'm taken into this room and they are trying to uh, unblock my uh, plaques and they had to use a diamond tip drill to shave off the plaques. Mm. And in the process, I get cardiac arrest. My God. I'm not stopped. Now they try and get me, shock me to get my heart beating again. In the morning, of course, they postponed the procedure, did it next morning. But in the morning, I was shocked, startled to see those real battle burns on my chest. And so, again, I'm thinking that the cardiologist who did this was brilliant because he saved my life. But guess what, Mark? Two years after he finished my stents, he was on a treadmill and had a massive heart attack and died while he was exercising. So now we have a problem that your your audience will think, okay, now... Dr. Taylor is going to change. He's going to eat better. He's going to exercise. He's going to run uh, marathons and climb mountains. Nope, not even a little. You know, what happened was that in spite of the coronary artery disease, my lifestyle choices prevailed. My old lifestyle choices prevailed. Mm. And I laughed at my medical condition. But inside me, there were tormenting thoughts which were running riots in my mind. 
So now comes a time when it is a real blow to me. I get sad. I have bouts of uncontrollable sobbing. Mm. I am uh, sitting long time on a chair, looking vaguely into the distance. I am I'm getting raged and throwing things around, uh, using anger as a cover-up for the deep despair I felt. And the nights were tough, Mark. You know, I mean, I used to get up with fear, uh, soaking. My, my clothes would be soaking, soaking. And mornings were no better. I had to force myself to go to work. And by the time I got dressed up, I was completely worn out. Now, all these negative thoughts and behaviors manifested into physical symptoms. So now I started getting sinus infections and bronchitis and pneumonia visit me every year. And then comes, because of no fiber in my diet over a period of years with a sad American diet, I had severe constipation that led to severe diverticulitis. Mm. Twice I was admitted with perforations. Mm. And with IV antibiotics going on. The second time, the perforation, my surgeon, a friend of mine, standing in the surgery room, I trust you, this is honest truth. He turns around and says, Akhil, if I don't take you into surgery and take the disease colon right now out, you may not survive. Hmm. An enlarged prostate, for which I was again admitted time and again for acute retention of urine and bleeding. And you know, Mark, they put this, and they have to put large catheters to get those huge clots out for 24 hours. It was like someone piercing a steel iron rod into your genitals. Now it took me five years of living this way. I'd hit rock bottom with thoughts of suicide included before I came back. What was the tipping point for you? I mean, you sounded like you were really, really suffering for such a long time. I, I Like I said, you know, that I came back, but I came back to the hospital now because my stents had failed and I had to open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Now starts my life mm. because as they carried me in, I turned around and said, mark my words, in, I am going to do a half marathon within a year's time as they were wheeling me into surgery. I don't know at that time, Mark, why I said this. But coming to think of it, I believe that I was I was subconsciously ahead in my mind that I had only two choices left now. Either to continue this horrific, uh, painfully slow end-of-life journey with filled with medi- mediocrity and anger and rage, or to turn my life around, do something, a healthy thing, uh, eat better, and uh, possibly move myself more. Well, I like that because even in even in sort of your darkest hour, there being wheeled in for your surgery, you 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 were having you were expressing something very optimistic that you're going to run a half a marathon. And of course, there's such really good evidence now that mindful optimism is is really good for us. Uh, including reducing your long-term risk of heart complications and cardiac death, to be optimistic. True, very true. You said it, you hit the nail on the head. 
I think because I had only two choices, I this was a way I had to come out. And why it happened at that particular moment in time, I cannot tell anybody. But it just made me feel I've got to do. And I didn't just want to live. Mm. I wanted to really live. Yes. That was a difference. So otherwise, you know, like I could have, now think about it. My recovery was remarkable. Even the doctors who were there, the staff, the nurses, and everybody got shocked because I was in the trade mill on the third day. And I would not take any pain medication. Even with the chest opened, they have with that cough that you get after the surgery. Mm-hmm. And the chest pain is excruciating. I did not take any pain medications because now I was a new archaeo. And therefore, I was in a way... I was happier in this recovery pain than with what had happened in the, the emotional agony of the last five years. It, it, I, I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but that was pain was acceptable to me. It was a little bit of a joyful pain because I had reached a verdict of what I want to do. It sounds like you had a, you had a really strong inner drive and desire to to get better so quickly and to really, as you said, to really embrace your life and, and not just survive, but thrive. It's absolutely. You, you, again, it was not just to survive, but it was definitely to thrive, you know. So what I started doing was I had to do certain things in, because in spite, I felt that it was so much easier for me, it would have been so much easier for me to get on my rocking chair, comfortable. And then live vicariously through my children and my grandchild. But in spite of the misery I'd gone through up to this point, when it came down to it, I really wanted to live, Mark. And when I really wanted to live was, it was time for me now to do this. I had to make some drastic changes. I had to ditch the conventional script adopted by most of my elderly heart patients. So I had to now, to keep the promise I made to the nurses in the ICU, this couch potato took up running for the very first time in his life. We'd not even done a half a kilometer. I took baby steps. First a little walk, then a little jog, and then run. Now, running became a meditation in motion for me. Mm. I love the birds chirp and the... And the waterfalls and the smell of flowers and soil and all that. So to me, running became beautiful. And now I started eating better. I was still a non-veg, not a plant-based. I was eating better. So I was uh, getting into meditation, yoga, spirituality. All that was coming in. I was feeling great. So eight months after my open-heart surgery, my wife my rock, we went over to Nashville, Tennessee to do my first half marathon. We went the night before, Mark, and I could not sleep. At 1 a.m., I was just wondering, was the dichotomy of fear and excitement, to be very honest, you know? And so I, <laughs> and, and surprisingly, I had a weird dream. At one o'clock, I went to sleep. I had a weird dream that I was uh, representing uh, the U.S. in Olympics and I was getting a gold medal and I was singing the national anthem, totally out of tune, of course. But <laughs> I was there and then I felt and I got up and the next morning I had to do it. And when I started off, there were hills 
And in my small town, there were no hills. So I mean, I said, well, if you can't, you know, just join them if you can't beat them. So I joined them. And in four and a half grueling hours, I finished the half marathon. And no matter what, my bruised heart did not fail me. It figuratively and physically carried me over to the finish line. From then on, there was no stopping. The mark, I was still getting those diverticular, not as often, sinuses. And I was wondering, what was I doing that was wrong? And so I looked around and wondered, what, is there anything else I can do? That's when I started reading T. Collins and Neil Bernard and Dean Ornish. I met some of these people and I talked to them face to face. And I got, and I read books, How Not to Die, Michael Greger, and all this. And I went deep into it. And finally, I came to the logical conclusion that it is my food. Food feeds disease or fights disease. Mm. As Maimonides said, no disease that can be treated by diet should be treated with anything else. That's when I took up. And that's when I took up the whole food plant-based diet. And what a relief. I cannot express in words now of what I'm undergoing. Right now, everything is on the back burner. There's no diverticulitis, there's no sinus, there is nothing. Mm. Not even COVID, nothing. So when you say when you say a whole uh, plant-based food diet, just for our listeners, Akhil, can you just kind of explain in very simple terms what that is and what that isn't? In other words, what's in and what's out? You see, there are there are a couple of groups in the whole food plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. So when you start off, you start with legumes and beans. So your lentils, beans, legumes, this is your first group. Yes. Whatever, you know, eating different types of beans and legumes and all that. That's so good for you, fiber, et cetera, and antioxidants, oh, all that stuff. And not animal protein, plant protein. Yes. And so the next and the next thing is the vegetables. Mm-hmm. Now, I play a little game with my uh, patients now. They're okay, name from A to Z, as you all call it, Z. But uh, A to Z, <laughs> try and name every vegetable. So they will start with avocado and broccoli and, you know, can whatever, you know, fruits. So the whole idea is I play a game with them. So that's the vegetable part. And you have immense amount of vegetables, you know, things that I'd never heard of, like bok choy and all that, but I'm really enjoying it. Then you come across your fruits, your phytonutrients. So fruits of anything, it is a wrong concept that when you're a diabetic and people tell you, no, you're eating a banana, it's sweet. You cannot have sweet. No, you can have these. Because even though it is fructose, it is there with fibers. So yes. there is a slow downtake of your sugar just as your body wants it. So that's your another thing. Then you have seeds, your pumpkin seeds and mm-hmm. your sunflower seeds and all that. Wonderful. You can introduce that. Mm-hmm. And finally, your nuts, your almond nuts or your uh, pistachios or your cashew nuts or whatever, you know. And you don't have to have dairy. Because all these things, pea milk, I use pea milk, PEA, and that's fantastic, very high in protein, almost as tastes like the real milk to me. So I, I use that as when you get once in a while, if I want to splurge, I'll have an ice cream, but that is made out of uh, the, the pea milk or the oat milk. So these are the five groups. But when I say whole foods, 
I just want to make very clear, it's okay once in a while to have that, uh, what is it called, that burger that they make and all that, but it's still processed. I am talking about the whole foods. Like in the COVID time, the things that I took up was gardening. So you can take your, your mushroom and you put your uh, spinach on it to get the earthy taste if you love your burgers and put it on a, a whole grain brain, I mean, whole grain bread and eat it. So to me, it's a natural foods. But now when they go into this artificial foods and doing the chicken to taste, I don't believe in that. But it is better than eating meat, eggs, dairy and processed foods. Other you look, I'm looking at you here on the podcast, you look radiant, you look very happy, content, but you also look quite slim. Were you always this slim or, or has your weight gone down on this uh, diet that you're on now, the pla whole plant-based food diet? Excellent question, Mark. The point is I was never obese in the Western terms of obesity. I carried fat. I had a little pouch, the visceral fat. Yes. The fat around my liver and my heart and, uh, you know, my muscles. So I did have a pouch. So that is why I always tell people do the uh, abdominal girth yes. circumference rather than just go on a BMI because my BMI mark was 22. Absolutely. No, you're, you're dead right. It, it's the type of weight you have that's so, so important. And as you said, the, the abdominal circumference is really, is really key, key isn't it, for, for looking at your visceral fat levels. So really, it's chalk and cheese, isn't it, in terms of your lifestyle now compared to before. And yet I, I sense, Akil, listening to you, I sense a deep sense of gratitude for, for the experience, for what you've come through. Am I right? Absolutely. I am so grateful that you will not believe it. Getting a second chance to live life the way I want. I tell, I joke with my some of my family, friends and all that. I'm only 12 years old because the rest of my life, I didn't really live. Now I'm li really living my life. It may be counterintuitive in this, what I'm going to say, but COVID, okay, it killed a lot of people. It was drastic. It was bad. But for me, it was a blessing in disguise. I'm sorry to say this. It made me stop and think mm. that what is going on in this world? Why am I going so fast? I stopped and it gave me time to put my thoughts on paper and finish the book. And I took two new hobbies at that time. One was cooking and one was gardening. Cooking, I'm still terrible. I'm learning. Me too. So <laughs> being, being honest about it. And gratitude is to my patients, mm. the terminal illness patients who always have a smile. And I learned so much from that. And I'm gratitude that I'm allowed to be on your show and spread my heart healthy message around. And my book too. I am not, uh, the royalties are all going to Peter and, uh, and uh, St. Jude's. I'm not interested now. I'm interested in leaving a legacy Wonderful. that somebody, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And finally, I'm so grateful and gratitude to my wife, my rock, who, by the way, is very import, important in my life because when I get my head up in the clouds, she's the one who brings me down to ground level. Enough, Akil, come down. Beautiful. How long are you married, Akil, can I ask you? 
changes did patients appreciate and notice in you because they must have uh the kind of before the version 1.0 and and the 12 year old version 2.0 version of a keel now that's bouncing around the place yeah yeah they were the you see they are the people that i basically wrote the book also because of them because every time i came back and i told them the story of how i had reformed whether it was going for a meditation or changing my diet or going on a mountain when i came back they were all eager to listen mm. and then and we follow this then i would tell them how to do it you know of course all of them don't listen remember i'm from the deep south alabama so where you have your fried chicken and your grits and all that yes but i managed to and and these are the people who got interested into my so when i had a book signing uh, thing in my gadston library a small little town in alabama oh there was a lot of crowd all my patients had turned up made you feel so good yes that these are the people who are actually willing to listen to me from very deep south you know well i think it's it's a wonderful idea you know actions speak louder than words and there's research that shows that you know if you as a doctor if you embrace these positive lifestyle changes uh, your patients are 80% more likely to take these ideas on board because um you know they're much more interested in seeing well what does your doctor actually do does he or she does she he or she exercises he or she meditates as he or she spend time in nature do they embrace mindfulness etc so i think that can really give you great authenticity as a doctor is to practice what you preach as i say and to never stop practicing <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. You never stop practicing. You couldn't have said it better. Akil, can I ask you? I mean, it's something I, I ask my my podcast guests. Obviously, you, you you're a very resilient person, and uh, and even I'm I'm just imagining you going in, being wheeled in for your open heart surgery, and saying, "I'm going to run a half a marathon." Uh, you're already looking forward uh, with with optimism. Could you give our listeners three take homes, in your opinion, for for a resilient mind? to have a resilient mind you first of all have to learn how to handle stress mm. like i said before that everybody has stress otherwise all of our ceos and uh, other people heads of state would have been in a lunatic asylum but they know how to handle stress the ability number 2 the ability to learn from experience your setbacks and your failures mm. this is extremely important because a lot of people get failures and they say okay i'm not going to do it but learn from that and finally have a positive attitude and don't worry because a lot of people when they get into a bind they don't want to ask for help so have a positive attitude and always be ready to go and ask for help it is when you don't ask for help and you think you know a lot and you're going to do it on your own sometimes it creates problems three great ideas there akil and finally for you akil what's the meaning of life meaning of life 
to me is a journey. Mm-hmm. It is a journey of ups and downs and different emotions. You can be happy, you can be sad, you can be angry, you can be, and that successful failures, all these are emotions. Now, how you deal with these emotions is a very important thing. Because say, for example, you are happy and now you, because you're successful, but success can also breed a certain kind of an attitude which is not required. You can you can sort of uh, uh, arrogance. You can breed arrogance, and then eventually this arrogance will get you into uh, a place where you don't, uh, in a way that gives you a false feeling of knowing everything. And it's similarly so if you have, if you're reaching, if you're successful, be ground based. Mm-hmm. Don't get it into your head. Don't get swollen-headed. And if you are really depressed and down, you still have to look for ways, meditation, yoga, spirituality, religion, uh, or even medications when you need that kind of help. But you have to have those things. So to me, it's a life. It's a journey. It's all these things happening. How you handle all this is the most important. Well said. So really what you're talking about is is about staying humble, um, staying grounded, staying grateful, um, staying present, staying in touch with who you are and and not letting the untamed ego um, get a hold of you if you are you know seen by society as being successful. I think that's what I hear you saying. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Don't get carried away because I would like to leave this kind of a thought also that don't let your jobs, younger people, you know, don't let your jobs rob you of an opportunity of leading a life of purpose, passion and positivity. Most of us don't do that because we get so ingrained into our things. We leave everything on the side. You know, it's like the American dream. I tried to achieve the American dream but I ended up with a reckless pursuit of fame and fortune. It wasn't your end because, as you said, you got a version 2.0. You learned from your experiences. Uh, It's made you the person you are. And, you know, I think you are working on a journey of of a very, very rich legacy, not just for your own uh, grandchildren and patients, but for the wider medical community in the United States. Akhil, I want to say it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the doctor's chair. Keep fueling your passionate curiosity for lifelong learning, for leveraging further health gains, and in living your credo, in your words, that adventure may hurt you, but monotony will kill you. Akhil, keep inspiring others. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark, for having me. Hope we get to meet each other in person sometime in the future. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.